A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your God in heaven feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will not God much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it's the Gentiles who strive for these things. And indeed, your God in heaven knows that you need these things. But strive first for God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be yours as well. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Good morning. Well, Jesus seems to be channeling Bobby McFerrin today, doesn't he? Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or your body, what you'll wear. The birds do okay, don't they? Why worry about clothes? The flowers are, are pretty, aren't they? There are a couple things that make this passage from Jesus difficult, I think. One is its evident impracticality. I looked this passage up in the generally sober New Jerome biblical commentary, and there I found an almost snide remark that, that Jesus here seemed to reflect the viewpoint of a young man without family responsibilities. <laughs> and as I read this passage, I was also thinking about my husband's trip to India a couple of years ago. He was wandering in a region that didn't really have good infrastructure to serve the delicate Western digestive tract. Worrying about everything he ate and drank was a matter of immediate urgency. To be fair, Jesus didn't say that these things, food and clothing and even life itself, are unimportant. He says that God already knows that we need them. But it still feels like cold comfort in a world where some worry whether they have enough to get by at all. The second way in which this saying of Jesus can be jarring builds on the first. This is our gospel for Thanksgiving. A holiday in which, well, we tend to worry even more than usual about what we'll eat and what we'll drink and what we'll wear. If it's not the existential worry of basic survival, it's the holiday-induced extra worry about these things. And our culture adds an odd paradox, doesn't it? On Thanksgiving, we are invited to give thanks for what we have. That's, that's a fine thing. And then... Before the gravy is even cold, we are dashing out to begin a four-week countdown to Christmas shopping madness because nothing says love is born into the world like a fistfight at the mall over the hot toy of the year. And let's be real. 
Even before Black Friday hits, it can be hard to step into the Thanksgiving spirit. Maybe it's the stress of holiday preparations. Maybe it's family strains. Maybe we've had a hard year, an illness, or even a death close to us, a job loss. Sometimes that Norman Rockwell picture of the groaning table can feel downright oppressive. Maybe Jesus is just warning us not to be too obsessed with worry about material things, but I suspect he was getting at something else. In this Bobby McFerrin moment, I think Jesus was inviting us to move from thanksgiving into thanks being. Thanks being is different from thanksgiving. For one thing, it's not something we do, but it's something we try to be or to become. It's not one big woohoo of a day given over to gratitude, but it's a building up of a habit of giving and receiving grace, both from God and each other. Like Rome, thanks being isn't built in a day, but by a slow and persistent accumulation of small acts that add up over time to become part of who we are. So here I'd like to offer a few thanks, a few thoughts on thanks being. First, thanks being doesn't contradict thanksgiving. It builds on what's good about it, what's important about it. Like all of those, all of the gestures, all of the practices that we do, like giving time and talent and especially treasure to the church. Those are practices of thanksgiving that build into thanks being. Now it's true that, as Donald Rumsfeld might have said, we give thanks for what we have, not for what we wish we have. At Thanksgiving, in the, in the rush and hurry of the day, it can be easy to see only the imperfections. Say, to take a small example, that the pumpkin pie is burned on one edge. For my late mother, and perhaps for people you know, that could be elevated into a major crisis. <laughs> Thanks being allows us to step back and say, yeah, yeah, the pumpkin pie, it's, it's, it's burned on one edge, but you know, it's, it's still pumpkin pie. A habit of thanks being sets us free from layering expectation on top of expectation, whether those expectations are about pie or about the, uh, about the people that we share it with. Even if there's not much at all, a habit of thanks being invites us to see what's there and not stress so much about what's not. Now, since it's a habit, thanks being makes us grateful not just one day, but all the time. Part of the emotional bungee jump of the Thanksgiving holiday is taking what can be an exceptionally busy or exceptionally lonely or just complicated day and expecting ourselves to feel gratitude on cue. But that's like me saying, well, I'm going to prepare to run a marathon by getting up on race day and going out and running a marathon. That means that I would wind up exhausted on the side of the road somewhere far short of the goal and sore as the dickens the next day. Rather, a habit of thanks being is like the gradual practice of the marathoner, starting with wherever we are, whatever we can do, and building on that day by day until race day finds us ready to go. Another point about thanks being is that People of thanks being are able to see gifts as gifts, not just the way things are. 
In Christian mystical tradition, people are said to have entered the illuminative way when the world seems to be lit up with the presence of God. To see a tree is to see the tree and to see the Spirit of God enlivening it. To look at the heavens is not just to see astronomical bodies, but to see the glory of God revealed in sun and moon and stars. In Franciscan parlance, we see that all is gift, given for us and to us. In his lovely canticle of Brother Sun and Sister Moon, St. Francis of Assisi praises God for the gift of all the happenstances of creation. Francis was a man of exceptional thanksgiving. When he and his little band of beggars would be given food by a kind stranger, they'd thank God for the gift of food. When no one gave, they'd thank God for the gift of their hunger that night, which reminded them of the need for kindness and our need for each other. The illuminative way of thanks being opens us up to paradoxical gratitude, to see gifts both where we expect to and where we don't. In her song, Thank You, the prophet Alanis Morissette sings... Thank you, India. Thank you, terror. Thank you, disillusionment. Thank you, frailty. Thank you, consequence. Thank you, thank you, silence. That sounds like thanks being. Plus, since God really is revealed in disguise in all creation, we're not just making stuff up when we strive to see the world through the eyes of thanks being. In fact, we're coming closer to seeing the world as it really is, as entirely the, the loving and beloved gift of God. Thanksgiving is also a little different from, uh, excuse me, thanksgiving is also a little different from thanksgiving in that it looks to the future, not mostly to the past. In both of our readings today, we see an invitation to see promise in what's to come. The prophet Joel writes in a time following an agricultural calamity and invites us to look forward to a rich harvest promised by early rain. The natural world itself is invited into thanksgiving. Do not fear, O land, be glad and rejoice. Do not fear, you animals of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. Children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain and has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. We in California might hear this passage right now, especially vividly, as we begin to see the first rains of what we hope will be a wet year to ease the drought. We also know how great it is when the vats of Napa and Sonoma overflow with wine. In the gospel, Jesus is urging people to notice that because God provides food for the birds and beauty to the flowers and the grass of the field, God will be gracious to us too. If thanksgiving tempts us to look to the past, thanksgiving invites us to assume a stance of trust for the future. God will be gracious, even if the pie is burned. And finally, Thanksgiving turns us into people of the magic words. Remember when you were a little kid and you'd ask for something and you'd have to utter the magic words of please and thank you? Think about what those words do 
they turn a demand or an expectation into a grace. The giver asked, please, graciously gives. And the receiver recognizes and re-graces the gift with thank you. The magic words bring us into what I would like to call the grace economy, where every human interchange carries with it the trade of gift and gratitude within and beyond the particular object that we're exchanging. The word charis in the Greek of the New Testament means both the gift given and the thanks for it. In the grace economy, all gifts are received by grace and with gracious thanks. Now, if Jesus is inviting us to move from thanksgiving into thanksgiving, how might we do that? The good news is that it's easy. It itself is a grace. And all it takes is practice, a few minutes a day at most. Spend a couple minutes, think back on your day, and find something, one small thing, and simply say thank you. That's it. It doesn't have to be a big thing. If you're one of those people who like everything pumpkin-spiced, well, give thanks for pumpkin-spiced everything at this time of year. <laughs> if you don't like pumpkin spice, well, you can give thanks that the pumpkin spice season will be over <laughs> in just a few weeks. And the neat thing is, as we give thanks, we don't even have to feel thankish when we do it. Right? It's enough to notice something and say thanks. The feeling comes with the practice, not the other way around. Now, if you, if you find yourself, and sometimes I have days where I can't find anything, if you find yourself absolutely unable to come up with anything to be thankful about, then cheat. <laughs> Think about something that a mystic might have noticed and try that. That's kind of what Jesus recommended, isn't it? He's talking to people who might be fretting about this or that, and he invites them to notice the beauty of the birds and the beauty of the flowers, and the beauty of the grass, and that therefore God will be gracious. Another practice of thanks being might be to thank someone for something ordinary that they do. Well, okay, it was their turn to do the dishes, sure, that's fine, but kind of neat to say thanks. Or how about, and this is especially helpful in uh, our area of a lot of traffic mergers, if you go through the maze over on the other side of the bridge, Give a wave when somebody lets you merge into traffic. Think how neat you feel when someone else waves thank you to you. And then pray with thanks for their kindness. And I would invite all of us to practice counterintuitive thankfulness too. If another story of violence or upheaval hits the news, let's watch for the people trying to do good. Let's watch for the first responders the ordinary people and the ordinary people who rush in to help, the reporters who try to explain what has happened, everybody who tries to make a difference for the better. Becoming a person of thanksgiving is a big deal, but it's achieved by a host of small things, all of the practices of thanksgiving that cultivate a habit of thankfulness. So this year, this holiday season at least, why don't we try to go from today until Epiphany, say, just a few weeks, and let's take up Jesus' invitation to practice thanksgiving. I'll do it if you'll do it. 
thanks being is both the practice and the gift given to mystics, given us, bringing us closer to God by noticing what God's been up to in the world. Thanks being helps us see gifts as gifts and see God at work in all of creation, recognizing that all is gift. And I'm going to close with St. Paul's advice to the Philippians, who he was coaching in that transition from thanksgiving into thanksgiving. He wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing what you've learned and received and heard and seen, and then the God of peace will be with you. Amen.